0: Learn how The Hartford can help your business at thehartford.com. Collaborate for a greener future at the
1: Bloomberg Green Festival, a groundbreaking celebration of the thinkers, doers, and innovators leading the way. From design and culture to technology, science, and entertainment. Hear from inspirational speakers and immerse yourself in climate solutions, July 10th through 13th in Seattle. Title sponsor Amazon. Official airline Alaska Airlines. Get 20% off using promo code Radio20 at bloomberglive.com/slash green festival.
2: Hey, it looks like the '90s might be coming back in style. If not in fashion or music, then at least when it comes to Superfund taxes. Today on Parts Per Billion, we talk about the resurrection of a polluter tax that seemingly died out in the grunge decade, and whether this revival is good or bad. Hello and welcome back once again to Parts Per Billion, the environmental podcast from Bloomberg Law. I'm your host, David Schultz. So the principle of polluter pays is one that, at least at first, can feel really hard to argue against. It seems like a just and also financially convenient way to clean up environmental problems. If you cause pollution, you pay to clean it up. And that was the basic principle behind the Superfund program when it was created more than 40 years ago. Companies that made or make hazardous substances that are responsible for pollution should have to pay an excise tax on those substances, and that tax revenue will go toward cleanup sites. There is a problem with this logic, though. Determining who is responsible for pollution is actually way, way harder and more complicated than you might think. As a result, many companies argued that they were paying the Superfund tax even though they had nothing to do with pollution. In the mid-90s, Congress got rid of this tax, and ever since then, Superfund cleanups have been paid for by, well, however much Congress decides to spend in any given year. That, however, might be about to change. The big infrastructure bill that the Senate passed before its August recess includes provisions to bring back the Superfund excise tax. The House is expected to take up this bill later next month. Today, we have two perspectives on whether or not this is a good idea. In a bit, we'll hear from Danielle Melgar, an advocate with the Zero Out Toxics Program at the U.S. Public Interest Research Group. She's definitely in favor of the Superfund tax revival, but Steve Jawitz most definitely is not. He's a principal of the environmental law firm Beverage and Diamond, which represents many of the companies that would be subject to this new tax. Jawitz spoke with David Hood, a reporter with Bloomberg Tax, about why he's opposed to this and about what exactly is in this Senate-passed infrastructure bill.
1: The idea here is they're picking up one of the previously existing taxes, the taxes on a particular list of chemical substances, chemical products, and they're increasing the excise tax amount, the amount per pound effectively, Uh, that applies to both uh, those chemicals produced in the United States, and it also applies to certain imports of chemicals. So the tax is designed to raise money for the Superfund program um, it's really just a revenue raising device.
3: Now when you say abandoned sites, can you go into a little bit more detail about what that means and what does it mean for companies producing these chemicals and for importers?
1: Under that scheme, parties who are either own a site now or operate a site now where hazardous substances have been released or historically owned or operated such a site or sent uh, hazardous substances to a site for disposal or treatment, or entities that transported substances to that site, if they selected the site. All of those are potentially liable under the Superfund program. In addition, the Superfund liability scheme was retroactive and it's called what's called strict liability which means negligence is irrelevant. Nobody has to be at fault. There doesn't have to be any violations of law. Simply if a company sent that kind of substance to a site where that substance is found today and there was a release at that site, the company's liable. And the other thing that's quite striking about the Superfund scheme as it's been interpreted is that liability is joint and several which means even one entity at a site where dozens or hundreds of of entities may have sent waste, one entity can be held liable for all of the costs and all of the cleanup. So it's, it's quite an extreme liability scheme. But as a result of that scheme, actually, most of the cleanups being done in the U.S., are being done by the entities that sent material to that site or were in some way involved with that site. So the Superfund money is being used both to pay the overhead costs of the Superfund program that aren't recovered from individual potentially responsible parties, and they're paying the costs of cleanup at abandoned sites. Uh, They're sites like uh, abandoned mining sites for example, in the West, which is a potentially large problem, but there are no companies around today who are uh, available, if you will, to help pay for cleanup of those sites.
3: This tax has sort of resurrected the polluters pay debate where, like you said, companies intentionally or by accident uh, pollute land and waterways. How Is this tax, from your perspective, the wrong way or the right way to go about raising revenue to clean up these sites, abandoned or otherwise?
1: Well, generally, both Democrat and Republican administrations have, in the past, embraced uh, the concept of polluter pays, but it means different things to different people. And most literally, polluter pays can be applied to this liability scheme I was talking about where the entities that sent substances to a site from which a release has occurred, those are the entities who are held responsible for cleaning up that site. So there's a direct connection between the cleanup and the entities that sent substances to that site. Now, that cleanup, that, that connection can be somewhat indirect because uh, the releases can be today but the substances may have been sent to the site decades ago. And some of my clients are involved at sites where, release, where they were involved with the site literally a hundred years ago, and EPA is coming them today seeking uh, participation in a cleanup or costs for a cleanup. But that's the literal, most literal meaning of polluter pays, is that the parties connected to a site help pay for a cleanup. Calling the tax a polluter pays tax is using the polluter term very broadly because as you and I know, everybody is a polluter in some sense. We buy products, we throw away things once we're done with them, Um, but the chemical industry here are being called, sort of labeled broadly, polluters, and particularly this individual list of substances that is being subjected to this excise tax This is an excise tax designed to raise revenue. There's really nothing about the tax that relates to the purposes of the Superfund program. Imposing the tax doesn't lead people to use less of the chemical or shift away to other substitutes. It's just to raise money in order to be spent at sites where it needs to be spent. And usually the bulk of the money is spent at sites where the companies who are paying the tax have no connection whatsoever.
3: I think you did a good job of explaining why this may or may not be fair for, like you said, a narrow set of companies. Is there a better way to raise revenue to pay for these sites that isn't singling out companies that, like you said, may or may not even be responsible for some of the pollution?
1: Well, the Superfund program has been working using general revenues, appropriations from general revenues for a number of years now. The real issue has been the willingness of Congress to actually appropriate funds to get the work done, to get the work done that needs to be done. Perhaps to some extent, the willingness of various administrations to ask Congress for funds. But uh, even in the years when the Superfund was flush, as a result of all these various taxes, Congress never appropriated the maximum authorized amount for the Superfund program. So to meet the objective of getting these sites cleaned up, it's really up to Congress to appropriate the funds.
3: I want to go back to something that you said about how this tax is going to affect companies that haven't been at a site for 100 years. But as you know, some of these chemicals last in the ground or in the water for a lot longer than a hundred years um, I guess why aren't they liable now and why aren't they liable for as long as the chemicals are present if the companies are still around that did the, the polluting to begin with?
1: Well, they are um one thing that uh a lot of folks say about the Superfund program is that uh, Superfund liability is forever. The question is, if you've got a site where those chemicals are present, why are they present? And who is responsible for the particular situation at that site? And is an entity that today is producing, say, that's even that same kind of chemical, how are they connected to that site that may have been created dozens of years ago, uh, decades ago, uh, hundred years ago, how are they connected to that site just because they are today making a chemical that is found at some sites in groundwater, for example. So it, it's not clear to me what makes that better or fairer than any other way of raising revenue for the, the social objective.
2: That was Steve Jowitz, a principal at the environmental law firm Beverage and Diamond, speaking with Bloomberg tax reporter David Hood. Now we hear an opposite perspective from Pergs Danielle Melgar. Danielle spoke with David about why she says the polluter pays doctrine not only makes sense, but deserves to come back from the dead.
4: What these policies do altogether is hold polluting industries accountable for the cost of cleaning up toxic waste sites, shifting that financial burden off of the American taxpayer and onto those who play more of a role.
3: Why is this tax important, and why now?
4: Well, the answer as to why now is a a tough one. I think the Biden administration has obviously prioritized this. This is something they articulated as a priority during the campaign as well as early on in the administration. This tax or these Taxes went away in 1995. And so, for the last 26 years, we haven't had them. So, you know, we've wanted to have them back ever since then, really. And, you know, any year would have been a great year. But I think we had the right balance of a friendly administration who, you know, decided enough is enough. The American people shouldn't have to pay for this anymore. And, you know, we should bring in new revenue and make sure that money is coming from those responsible. And then we also had champions in Congress who have been pushing for this year after year and have really started to gain traction more recently. So Representative Pallone has been absolutely crucial to really building the insider support that we've needed to move this through the Senate and then hopefully now through the House as well.
3: The chemicals industry says that this tax is unfair because it singles out just a handful of companies and sort of puts them on the hook for paying pay attacks uh, from pollution that was created by other companies. What is your response to that criticism?
4: Yeah, I think whoever ends up paying for the cost of these cleanups is going to think it's unfair. Uh, ultimately, we shouldn't have this toxic waste polluting sites across the country to begin with. As to whether it should be broadened, we absolutely support broadening it so it's not just the chemical excise tax that was passed in the bipartisan infrastructure framework. We want to also see the reinstatement of the corporate taxes as well as the tax on oil um, that originally went to fund the Superfund program.
3: It's been a while. You know, like you said, these taxes expired in the mid-90s. What has been the barrier to revive them in the past, and how did we get here today?
4: Well, I think the initial barriers were, you know, not having the right votes in Congress and then having a really strong lobby from the industries that were, you know, originally taxed and that didn't want to be taxed again. So those are the original barriers. And if you're going up against that year over year, eventually people are going to start to think, you know, we've got to shift our priorities. We've seen a lot of shift towards uh, prioritizing climate change and climate policy. And that makes a lot of sense. We do need to prioritize that. Uh, And this has just kind of, you know, just one barrier is that it was being deprioritized because it felt like we're not making headway on this. We've got, you know, representatives and senators who are introducing legislation every year and it's just not gaining traction.
3: How does this tax fit into the Biden administration's larger environmental goals?
4: I can't speak to all of their environmental goals. I focus on this much more narrowly. I think the Biden administration understands that what the American people are looking for is shifting. We want to see more good climate policy, and we want to see things like toxic chemicals that are polluting our air, water, and soil getting cleaned up. We have seen that with the prioritization of uh, replacing lead service lines, for example. That's just another thing where, you know, at this day and age, we shouldn't have so many toxic chemicals getting into the water we drink and the food we eat. We should expect better and figure out what the policies are that can get us to that point where people can expect that they're going to have clean drinking water and clean air to breathe
3: Uh, going back to some of the criticism from the chemicals industry they say that if these taxes are implemented they will ultimately be borne by consumers and the companies will pass them on Uh, via higher prices for consumer products, etc. What is your response to that criticism?
4: Yeah, I mean, that argument is nothing new. I think that comes up anytime you propose any sort of tax on any companies. And my response to that is just how is that any different from the full cost that we're paying right now with our tax dollars? You know, we're not going to see greater increase than that on you know the cost of our products. So that argument just seems like a little bit confused to me. And I think beyond just the monetary costs, there are all these health costs that we're already paying. And we know that this type of policy results in faster and more thorough cleanup of toxic waste sites. So you know, any policy that we can pass that's going to alleviate a lot of that health burden is an ultimate win for consumers.
3: You know, looking to the future, um, like you said, and fully understanding that the the push for this and the effort isn't over. I mean, the House still has to go through uh, its process, and there's still a lot of hurdles here. But that said, Um, What's next for your organization? What are you looking for after, uh, you know, this goal is complete, assuming that it is completed?
4: Yeah. So, you know, there are so many more toxic waste sites in the country than what's captured on this list. There are sites that are waiting approval. I suspect there are also sites that, you know, it's not politically favorable for people to propose adding them. You don't want to just grow the list of unfunded toxic waste sites. Uh, So whatever we can do to expedite that process or help grassroots groups get their sites listed as Superfund sites so that they start to become eligible for cleanup, that would be hugely important. Earlier this year, we saw the PFAS Action Act move in the House, and that would essentially make to PFAS chemicals as hazardous substances. So let's say you've got a toxic waste site where there's PFAS contamination. Suddenly that site would be eligible to be included on the Superfund list, whereas previously it might not have been. So that would be the next big thing is moving that forward. And then lastly, we know one piece of this problem that really elevates the urgency is just the increase of severe weather related to climate change. So things like increasingly frequent and severe hurricanes that can put Superfund sites at risk of being impacted. And, you know, when a hurricane rips through a site, you might have, you know, the contamination spread to other areas, which makes cleanup a lot harder.
2: That was Danielle Melgar, an advocate with the Zero Out Toxics program at the U.S. Public Interest Research Group. Before that, you heard Steve Jowitz, a principal at the environmental law firm Beverage and Diamond. They both spoke with Bloomberg tax reporter David Hood. And that's it for today's episode of Parts Per Billion. If you want more environmental news, check us out on Twitter. We use the handle at environment, just that at environment, nothing else. I'm at David B. Schultz. If you want to discuss anything with me, Today's episode of Parts for Billion was produced by myself, David Schultz. We had a lot of help today from Adam Allington, Patrick Ambrosio, and Jenna Douglas. Parts for Billion was created by Jessica Coombs and Rachel Daigle, and our executive producer is Josh Block. Thank you so much for listening. You don't need to be a judge to be interested in our nation's laws and legal institutions, just like you don't need to have a law degree to be curious about the inner workings of courts, law firms, and law schools. That's where we come in. My name's Adam Allington, and I'm the host of Uncommon Law, a podcast from the Bloomberg Industry Group. Uncommon Law is where public policy, storytelling, and the law are combined. We explore big topics ranging from tech policy to free speech to race and gender diversity. So please give us a listen. You can subscribe and download today. Just search for Uncommon Law wherever you get your podcasts. Thanks so much.
0: learn how the Hartford can help your business at thehartford.com
1: Collaborate for a greener future at the Bloomberg Green Festival a groundbreaking celebration of the thinkers, doers and innovators leading the way. From design and culture to technology, science and entertainment hear from inspirational speakers and immerse yourself in climate solutions. July 10th through 13th in Seattle. Title sponsor Amazon. Official airline Alaska Airlines. Get 20% off using promo code Radio20 at BloombergLive.com slash Green Festival.